0: Hey
1: everyone, welcome back to More Than Work this week. I have another guest I'm super excited about. I'm just going to say that every week now, I think, because I can't imagine I'll have a guest I'm really lackluster about, but my guest this week I've been working with for a couple months, and she's been my coach, and kind of a... She does a different kind of coaching than I've seen. And I end up having quite a few coaches on here, and I recognize that. But I think everyone's bringing a different point of view and a different backstory and a different perspective, and that's what I like. But this guest, Natalie, is just an incredible woman. Um, We don't focus much on it, but she is a Rwandan genocide survivor. And I, having not gone through anything like that, ever at all um being someone who grew up in the states with a family that you know didn't really have any of that kind of struggle i mean my dad was from lebanon but even then i don't think when he left it was exactly like the war time he did go through war there but not in the same way at all and just having no experience of that talking to her she is so grounded and so centered and it is absolutely incredible and she's so generous with what she shares about her story and about how she built her consulting, or not consulting, but coaching company Harbor, and how it's just based around like partly AI and technology. And she's a technologist who's building things for good, and we get into amazing discussions. I mean, we talk a little bit about AI ethics, and we talk about grief and ancestral work she's doing. And it really, the discussion hit a lot of very important things. I think the grief part really struck me when I was editing again, because I've known a lot of people in the last year who lost people. We've had so much loss in the last year as a society in general, but then individuals I know, friends from work, have lost parents and grandparents, and I thought of them a lot as I was editing. Um, I talk about a very significant loss in my life that I don't talk about on this podcast very much or at all in a way. But I was really um, moved in listening back just because Natalie does such beautiful work with honoring her grief and talks a lot about how we can all honor ours. So I think that will be really useful to people to hear about. Um, We talked a lot about self-care and just you know, how it's more than just, oh, I'm having a self-care day. I'm taking a day off work, but it's really incorporating these practices into your life. So I have one friend who's been running every day um, throughout the pandemic. And last year I rode my bike every day and I've certainly lapsed in that, but that was for me, self-care. It wasn't indulgence or it wasn't um, silly or something. It was just something I needed to do to take care of myself and for my mental and physical health. And so I just I'm really excited for people to hear this episode because Natalie just is very profound in my opinion and is so eloquent and also she's in it's kind of cool that she's in tech but she's decided to build a system and a program that's completely different from anything I've worked on and so uh I'm really just grateful that we've met I'm grateful that I've had the chance to work with her i I'm in her her program harbor and right now and it's been really super because I've just been getting these emails every day that ke- kind of keep me accountable. And I'm not perfect. I'm certainly not doing everything I'm supposed to be doing or should be trying to do. But I also know that that's okay. And I'm just doing what I can. But I'm really just the whole thing about being held accountable is super helpful to me. I've written in a gratitude journal more in the, this year than I have. And I don't even know how long. I mean, a very, very long time. And I've done more writing this year. I mean, just personally. And I don't know if part of that's just making a choice sometimes that in order to take care of myself today, I need to write and I need to get some things out. But it's just been really a rewarding thing for me to go through and to be more mindful about my day. I'm, I'm trying to use meditation to manage anxiety. And that doesn't always work for me, but it works quite often. if I If I pull myself out of it soon enough to try the meditation. It's a good practice for me because I don't know about anyone listening, but maybe at least one person listening has really been in it with their anxiety lately and I certainly have. As things are opening up, it's created this whole new kind of experience for me of of reacclimating to social situations and I'm okay in social situations, but I think for me it's the public transport is hard and encountering people who you know, are kind of combative. I had a lady approach me at the train Sunday. I was going to Brighton for the Brighton Fringe and she just asked me about the train times and then she asked me why I was wearing a mask and proceeded to tell me that COVID didn't exist. And I just, I, I had to get away from her and I was just like, oh, this wouldn't happen in my apartment. So that's where I've been at lately. I'm just sharing that because I think you know, if anyone else is going through something similar, maybe it'll help to hear. But anyway, Natalie's just a fantastic guest. I'm really excited for you to hear this. I'm going to put, she mentions quite a few authors and thinkers on and during the podcast. And so I am going to list a couple of those in the show notes too. But if something comes up for you, and I don't hear from listeners, actually, I hear from a few friends who listen, but otherwise I don't hear from anyone. But if you do listen to this, and you do want to know about one of the people Natalie mentions. She is very generous with giving her contact information, but also uh, you can reach out to me. So um, I guess that's all. I mean, if you have any guest ideas or you have any feedback or you want to talk to me, you can. Just reach out, morethanworkpod at gmail.com. If you can write a review on Apple or some other review sites, that would be awesome. If you can subscribe, that would be great. Or follow, I guess it is now. But otherwise, um, I'm really grateful for you and, you know, for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to More Than Work this week. So, I have someone who's actually in London where I'm located, which is rare because I'm usually interviewing people all over. Natalie Zaymana, she's the founder of Harbour. Hey, how's it going, Natalie?
0: Really great. Thanks for having me on.
1: Cool. Thanks for being here. So you just want to introduce yourself a little bit and then we'll get into it.
0: Sure. So I founded Harbour just before the pandemic. It's an accountability platform for people who are running their own businesses or working in leadership roles within organizations who want to become a little bit more resilient. And I mean, emotionally, intellectually, through a daily check-in that we use at Harbour. So yeah, between coaching clients and working one-to-one with them and also building the the platform, that's what I'm about these days.
1: Yeah. And that's what a good time to start a business, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, the pandemic has has created um, a healthy client base. Um, Perhaps not so surprisingly, I think people have been impacted by the uncertainty and are wanting to really anchor themselves and find ways of being a lot better at looking after themselves and being more accountable to how they look after themselves, which is something I can definitely relate to.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, just the fact that so many people transition to working from home who weren't doing that by choice. I mean, I work from home. I have for five years. So Same. <laughs> right. So we were kind of used to it and used to at least some boundaries. But I know even for me, just working with clients who were all of a sudden at home, there were a lot less boundaries because they weren't commuting. Mm. They weren't doing things at home. So they were all of a sudden wanting to have emails at like nine o'clock at night and stuff where you're like, hey, I thought you guys had families or something. <laughs>
0: yeah i mean there's been a lot of commentary about how the lines between work and rest of life have really blurred over the pandemic and i think you know there's a couple of things going on there one is that those of us who did go to a daily commute or did um go to work, via a commute, have lost that and have lost the kind of structure of a routine, which is really in the muscle memory if you're commuting every single day for more than one year. And then at the same time, there's an anxiety because lots of people are losing their jobs. And so there's this fear that happens where it's like, if I don't work and if I don't you know, put in extra hours, I might lose my job. So I better just keep working, grinding, because the stakes are so high. So I can definitely see... that's playing out with a lot of people
1: yeah that's true because a lot of employers didn't even allow any work from home Mm. because they felt like it was going to ding their productivity and i think they're finding at least statistically from what i'm reading that productivity is increased but you know i think it's there's probably like a leveling out that has to happen too where people aren't able to work like 12 hour days every day just
0: because they're at home you know sure for sure and i think i think it was goldman sachs where a junior banker came out with um, a report about how most of them are working over 100 hours a week and the conditions are pretty insane and you know there is a question around productivity at what cost because if If people are burning out at work, that's awful. And that's the cost of late capitalism, this acceleration where people are having to work even harder for less reward and the stakes are even higher because if you lose your job in the middle of a pandemic, it feels awful. It feels, you know, isolating. It feels challenging. It feels like you failed, even though you haven't because you're more than your job. But it can't feel like that when you're giving all of your hours, all your waking hours to the work. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, yeah, and you see places like Japan where it leads to the loss of life, either from health issues or from people taking their own lives because of basically the work pressures.
0: Yeah, and, I think it's really interesting because globally it's difficult to kind of isolate who's unimpacted by the mechanisms of late capitalism, right? So I think often in the West, we do look to Japan and Korea as kind of the exception case, but then kind of miss how we're culpable in that same machine. Um, Why is it that every time we meet someone, we always ask what they do for a job and we're kind of doing this categorization in our minds as to the value of the person that we're connecting with as related to their work. Or we think of people always as a society in relation to their outputs. And it's been really interesting on a personal level kind of seeing the folks in my network who've connected with me during the pandemic and kind of seeing whether they've connected with my well-being or whether they've connected with wondering what I'm outputting and wondering what I'm producing. And I just find that a really fascinating way of kind of measuring, you know, what is the worth of connection in the West and what is the worth of connection under under late capitalism? Like where does care come into it? Where does connection and and who are we to each other beyond our work? Yeah, that's,
1: that's exactly right. And just so I, if I know a guest before, having them on, I definitely always like to say how we met and we met on lunch club and it's an app where people can just, well, it's a website, but also an app, I guess in a way, a web app where people can connect based on just having been invited to this club. And then we, I don't know why exactly we got matched, but we did. And what I liked about our conversation was that it was really just kind of got very personal very quickly, which was nice. And, it wasn't really concerned with what we were doing and some of the conversations are some people are looking for work or they're just wanting to advertise like, Hey, I work at Google or something, but I really liked that. And I think that app growth over this pandemic is showing that people just want connection, you know?
0: For sure. For sure. I think there's a real yearning for community and connection. And um, that's something that's been really interesting for me. And I think also We don't always allow ourselves to change because we kind of get stuck in patterns, kind of being around the same people, doing the same things, um, doing the same work. And so perhaps one thing amongst many others that the pandemic has done is like shift our conception of self and kind of forced us to reevaluate who we are to ourselves. And what sort of needs might arise from that reevaluation? You know, do I feel like I still want to talk about work when I'm stressed out about work? Do I feel like Mm. the dreams that I had before the pandemic is still relevant to who I am now? Do I feel like the way that I move through my day is still aligned with, you know, what my soul feels like it needs? And people are asking themselves these really, Existential questions, perhaps not always realizing that they're asking themselves existential questions. Mm-hmm. It often comes up, at least when I'm doing um, client work, one-to-one coaching work, it often comes up as an emotion that people can't describe, that something doesn't feel quite right and that they want or need or being called to something else. And so a lot of the work in Harbour is helping people name emotions and name mm-hmm. sentiments and being able to kind of pinpoint what's going on so they can kind of Go towards where they need to go, or where their where their souls calling them to go.
1: Yeah, and that's that's good because I think it does help remove that whole thing of just always talking about work and being in work. I mean, I even know like some friendships that resulted from work were really, I mean, not to be dramatic about it, but were also the result of trauma bonding. And yeah. so, you know, when we're not in the same workspace, experiencing the same things, there's a fragility to those relationships, yeah. right?
0: So true. And I think for me, transitioning out of creating connection from trauma bonding has been like a real growth moment (laughs) over the last couple of years. Because trauma, of course, is a part of our story, but for it to define us completely and holistically can lead to the kind of stagnation that's really, really painful, not just for ourselves, but also for the people around us. And yeah, I'm always really careful. In, in my personal relationships these days to kind of think about, you know, what are we building with this relationship? How are we seeing the divinity within ourselves and each other during this connection, this moment? And it, I don't know, there was some something I read a few years ago that was like, people can only meet you as far as they've met themselves. And so reading the teachings of the Essenes and kind of engaging with some more esoteric were around the universe sort of mirroring you. I think those relationships fall to the wayside when you've dealt with your trauma and when you Mm -hmm. full personal responsibility of kind of taking care of your inner child and loving yourself every day, it feels uncomfortable to stay in that space. And that's not to say that you don't love those people or care for them, but it just means that there's going to be a different dynamic established between you.
1: Yeah. So, I want to talk about Harbor, Mm -hmm. but first I think I want to just establish some definitions Mm -hmm. based on how you're going to be talking about things because I may think I know what things mean, but I'm not confident and then I think it'd be good for people listening. So Harbor, one thing you work on is resilience. So can you just describe what resilience is?
0: Yeah, for me, resilience is being able to, to return to who you are even in the eye of the storm
1: okay cool so that's good to like level set what that exactly mean yeah so i've had a few coaches on and i'm sure i'll have a few more what does harbour do and what's kind of the basis for your coachings i think it's different than some others
0: Yeah, for sure. So when I was doing a lot of my own healing work, I got really into chakra systems and energy systems, and I also got really into sort of Taoist texts. So using my tech background, I've used some machine learning on the back end to kind of analyze in a privacy-preserving way when clients are entering different stages of their journey. So I always start with a chakra assessment, and say so we'll go through a few questions around your root chakra, your sacral chakra, your solar plexus, your heart, your throat, your third eye, your crown chakra, just to get an assessment of where people are um, and how they're feeling about themselves in that moment. And then having established that baseline, you get daily prompts, which are, and you know, you'll find this out when you, when you start your trial, you'll get daily prompts, which ask you to check in and sort of, ask you to be accountable to looking after yourself. And so one of the baseline recommendations is have you been out in nature today? Another one might be, you know, have you nourished yourself with foods that make you feel good in your body? Another one might be, have you connected with the people in your life who remind you of love? All these things you're kind of prompted to check in with and you're accountable to doing that work. And if if the client is a one-to-one client that I'm coaching, we will have a weekly review where we go through how they felt throughout the week as they were committing to different activities on that checklist. And then once a month, we also set some new intentions for that month and um, I hold clients accountable to that. So one of the reasons why I set up Harbour, it's the classic thing of building something for yourself. Like I think... If you're someone who likes reading and finding things out, which most people are, you know, if you're a curious person, my client base and myself are recovering type A's. And so there's a tendency to dive into the intellectual, the cerebral realm and you know, get really into Taoism and like get really into energy systems, but not actually integrate and apply that learning. And so that's where the accountability piece comes in, which is to prevent us, or at least to try and create a stopgap from spiritual bypassing, so that you're actually committing to sitting down and doing that meditation, or sitting down and doing a little bit of yoga, or sitting down, or even just standing up and going outside for a walk, but you've made that commitment and you're accountable to it. And the results are that you're not lying to yourself. You're not saying, you know, you're not being incredibly articulate, but you haven't gone and done your yoga, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah sometimes
1: I think there are good reasons for things. And sometimes I think they're just excuses. And <laughs> I'm definitely someone who tries to state very eloquently my excuses. Yeah. You know,
0: <laughs> it's very normal. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I, a question about the chakras and energy systems and stuff. Cause I think you hear it in pop culture, like just kind of make fun of that and say, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, my energy is off my vibe, whatever. Yeah. But it seems that whether you acknowledge that there's, a validity to all that, mm-hmm. or not, it's affecting you, yeah, right? and other people.
0: For sure, I mean that's definitely something that I relate to. You know, I, at the end of the day, not to be all <laughs> hippie, but everyone's on a journey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's good, and do that in that that voice too. Yeah, that's
0: the I, yeah, that's good. On a journey, and I know. I know where I was um, at different points of that journey and I can kind of spot where different people are on that journey. And I don't try and like force people to buy into um, a modality that doesn't fit with their belief system because that's also just not that's not cool. So what I'm offering is like, hey, this is this is something that's been really helpful for me and Mm. if you want to give it a go that would be awesome but if you're not ready to here's a bunch of resources that I actually think might help you so I've often had conversations with people who who are just sort of like you know they've gone through some physiological symptoms which in my mind I'm like yeah these are like classic metaphysical journey symptoms but they're not there yet. They don't They don't agree with that. They don't um, resonate with that. And I'll just send them some reading and I'll be like, you know, I, I think reading this might help you feel less alone and less like you're going insane. And I think this community over there of people might help you understand what you might be going through. And I think also, you know, here are some professional therapists, psychologists, um, nutritionists, chiropractors, who I would recommend as well. I'm never keen to sort of say... It's it's all or nothing. It's this is just one touch point for you to discover more of yourself. And if this is the thing that you'd like to do, great. Let's let's get you on board. And if there's um, something else that I have in my arsenal that can support you, I'm here to be of service. Cool.
1: Yeah, it's good. I mean, because really, I think one thing I like, too, is that and I'm starting to learn is like in anything where you're seeking help from someone else. So much of it comes from you as the person seeking yeah. help doing something. Right. right. And it's the same with therapy. I mean, people say, I love my therapist, but the people who love their therapist and I'm someone who does love my therapist. You love them because they basically repeated back something you said <laughs> <laughs> that shows you knew it, but you needed to pay someone to repeat that. But they also just kind of give you the, confidence or permission to to do the thing you know you should do and I feel like yeah it's the same with coaching and stuff too right
0: yeah I think coaching is I mean it's slightly different to therapy and I think talking therapies are an incredible way for us to find language um, to describe what we're going through and especially as a society who's Really been divorced from the language that we need to understand and communicate our emotions. I can see why therapy is so so widespread. I've I've done therapy before. I think it's life saving. I think it's empowering. I also think coaching is a slightly different ball game because it's mm-hmm. about that you're usually driving towards a goal and you're usually driving towards building muscle. You know, you're. Mm-hmm at least my interpretation of coaching and the way I work with clients is that I feel like I'm training them for the marathon of their lives. And some of that is sprint training. Some of that is weight training. Some of that is resistance training. Some of that is like long walks. And some of that is you know, really learning how to breathe and be present. But that's the work of coaching in my mind. It's, it's that day-to-day.
1: It's good to model it that way and have that language around it too. Cause I think people can understand like that, you know, what that looks like and, and how you're just doing that for yourself in a different way, not just going to the gym. And even like, even there are people who are fit in different ways and some Mm -hmm. people can walk forever, but they're not going to be able to run for example, but you're still like doing something that's building it up. Mm -hmm. So the accountability aspect of Harbor Can you talk a little bit about that and just how that works?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think so in my writing work, I look specifically around sociologies of care and thinking a lot about how self-care has been constructed over the last Mm. decade or so. And I think similar to therapy speak, people have the language, but they're not being accountable. So, you know, someone might say, oh yeah, I took a bubble bath, hashtag self-care. Or I'm I'm turning off work, I'm not turning up to work, hashtag Um, (laughs) self-care. Or um, I haven't had a shower in five days, hashtag (laughs) self-care. And I think we've all in different ways been guilty of weaponizing language in order to create avenues for us to escape the personal responsibility that's necessary at mm-hmm. this moment in time. And so I've, this isn't coming from a place of judgment. I've definitely gone through phases where I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm like eating a burger, hashtag self-care. When I know inside myself that eating that burger is not self-care and that's no. any any disparaging view on people who eat burgers, including myself, but that's just a form of I'm lying to myself. Yeah, this, this is indulgence and I should be able to call it that. And so yeah. the inversion of language that's become part of us as a consequence of, you know, the hyper commercialization of self-care is something that really fascinates me. And I, I wanted to think for myself, like, how could I build systems that really hold me accountable to my own bullshit? And I think the best way was to do that in a loving way. Like what would self-care actually look like now? Let's do some research. And yeah, it's pretty basic, but you have to do it every day. That's the tricky part. And that's where the accountability comes in. Like, are you doing this every day?
1: Yeah, so I like that. So a couple things came to mind. So last night, because I've just been tired. I mean, I'm just doing a lot and I'm tired and I was sitting there, And I opened Deliveroo, which for people in the States, it's like Uber Eats or whatever, seamless or anything. So I opened that and I had a burger and fries in the basket. And like about a half hour later, I got a message on my phone. Hey, you still have items waiting for you. I was like, oh man. And I was hungry by then. And I realized I didn't even place my order. Yeah, And I had actually gone to the store earlier and bought food to cook. Yeah. And so then I ended up, at that moment making the decision to cook because it was going to be healthier. Yes. It was going to be something that wouldn't lead me into some shame spiral around eating yeah. this burger and fries. And that was the self care. But I know exactly what you mean. Cause I had already done the thing where, Oh, I'm going to get a burger because I'm tired and I just want mm-hmm. something quick and which is not quick. It's like 30 minutes or something yeah. <laughs> and money and whatever. but yeah, so that's, that's interesting. And then also I think I'll test something with you, but I think self care people, also use it as like when they get to the point of like they're on the brink, on the edge, then they say, yeah. oh, now I'm doing self-care. But what you're saying is really practice that every day. Mm-hmm. And that's going to lead to a overall healthier way of living, right? Oh, sure, for
0: sure. And I, I think there's also this this idea of like preventative versus interventionist self-care, right? It's similar to medicine or similar to health health practices, you know, are you looking after your body every day or are you waiting until you need surgery in order to kind of make that leap? And if we, if we buy into the idea that our beings are multidimensional and so say we have a body and we have a soul and we have, you know, depending on which cosmology you buy into, you have like other aspects of your soul which are in all sorts of different places depending on what you believe in. Mm -hmm. makes sense for us to look after all bits of us you know you wouldn't just like go wash your hands and only wash your little finger the work at harbour is trying to kind of introduce you to the multi-dimensionality of your being and introduce you to people who are really on the pioneering edge of this work who are offering some pretty ancient wisdom for modern times for you to kind of be like oh i'm not just like this this body walking around and I'm not just these sets of mental states, you know, flying through my mind, I actually have a lot going on. And how can I integrate all of those things in ways that are healthy and ways that are not discombobulating or terrifying for me. So yeah, I, the delivery example is so real to me, because having worked on My background's on philosophy and politics and then more recently artificial intelligence ethics and writing a lot of ethics reports for AI companies and people in the policy space. You know, behavioral science is used to make populations behave in a certain way. In order to counter that, you have to have the mental agility of an athlete. And it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter where you went to school. You really have to understand the level of um, nudge theory that you're being ushered into. And the best way to do that, again, is having a daily practice of self-care. I don't care if you went to an Ivy League. No one is immune from being nudged into making a suboptimal decision.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so looking at that and the nudging, I mean, I and I think about all the notifications I receive, and like, so I'm on like Bumble, so mm. that'll tell me. Hey, the one is waiting for you.
0: <laughs> you know?
1: Tinder. Oh, it's a swipe surge. Everybody's on this now. It's like, okay, so I can get rejected more in this <laughs> hour than I do in other hours. Like, I don't know. And I can reject more people. And then, yeah, you have the delivery thing or any of those you left something in your cart, which can be useful. I mean, I probably would have not eaten until like 1030 last night if I didn't get that nudge. But still, like, there's these pressures and, and they're all over the place. And so you're... Actually, before we talk about the AI stuff, I want to take a step back and say, how did you get to Harbor? Mm -hmm. How did you get there? You were in technology and development yourself, right? So can we go back, go to that first?
0: For sure. I mean, Harbor wouldn't have been necessary had I not gone through multiple burnouts and gotten to the point where I was like, enough is enough, I need to figure out what's going on and why I keep going through these burnout cycles. And so for context, I studied philosophy and, and politics for undergrad, and then met someone at a house party in Shoreditch in uh, 2013, and ended up getting a job working for a really big tech company in Cambridge. And I loved it. It was sort of an incredible ride. I felt, you know, the nerd within me was just At home there. And I grew within my role. I think I got like three promotions in two years, ended up working with the C-suite directly on their digital strategy project. And it was just a dream come true. But I wanted, I wanted to experience more, and I kind of reached the ceiling of what I could experience and probably would have had to wait five years for another promotion. And I was impatient and wanted to experience more. So I set up my own company consulting on digital strategy and had clients here and in the States. And kind of grew that over the years, started doing a part-time master's on sociology of the internet. And it was only during, I'd probably say, I was starting to feel burnout on the horizon during that part master's. And it wasn't until I went to Rwanda, where I'm from, where my family's from, well, actually kind of from all over the Great Lakes, but that's where I was born. And, and I went back. And it was just such an overwhelmingly spiritual, emotional experience and I was standing on my sort of ancestral family farm where my paternal side come from and I can't describe it as anything other than I felt this incredible sense of peace, like pure peace, like pure um, belonging, pure ease. I'd had anxiety since I was about because of the war, PTSD. I'd been in talking therapies for most of my life, in and out. And I just didn't feel anxious up until that point. I'd never felt that sense of ease in my life. It was, it was completely overwhelming in the best way possible. And so when I came back to my part-time masters and I just saw everyone running around like headless chickens, trying to achieve things and arrive at the pinnacle of whatever value system was placed, none of it made sense. I didn't feel the sense of ease I felt at the farm. And I felt like everyone, including myself, had been at that point invested in this idea of, if we just work really hard, then we'll be valuable and we'll have meaning and we'll have purpose because other people will say that we do. And other people will be impressed by us and other people will think that we're really smart. And that will mean that we are good and that we are valuable in this world. And I, I had this kind of spiritual or soul disinvestment from that process. But intellectually, I was still, and emotionally, I was still locked in. And so there was this kind of split happening between my my soul and my my, my mental body, really, where my mental body was like, no, stick it out. Like, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you need to leave. <laughs> and so I eventually dropped out and... I think that was sort of the beginning of my dark night of the soul that they which is what it's described in, in spiritual woo-woo new age circles. But just a general like redirection where you're you're going through a form of existential crisis and reevaluating like what life is, what matters to you, who you are, what you what you came here to do, what your purpose is, some pretty big questions. I was back at home in London, just Every day was a a sort of staring at the ceiling, like big why question mark. (laughs) Not not even what, not even how, but just why. And I think why is really heavy. And I think I understand why a lot of people don't want to stay with why, because it's a very dense question and it requires a lot of delicacy and care with oneself, which is why people have spiritual teachers and coaches and therapists and everything else. Because I don't think the... Well, the individual isn't supposed to ask the why alone, because we're in community and that is the purpose of, of ritual, but all of our rituals have been replaced with nudging and they've been replaced with the award systems of late capitalism. And so, yeah, I was lucky enough to have the space at home to take time out to, to just ask why and stare at the ceiling for quite some time. And being a recovering type A, naturally, I got a spreadsheet out at some point And I was like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm like, yeah, oh, what? Google Sheets? Okay. <laughs> and
0: I was like, you know, I can't, I can't stay in this. I, like, I've stayed in this and I, I can't, I need to figure out something. And so I just started running some experiments on myself. And I was like, hey, mm-hmm. let's see what happens if you do this recommended activity for a week. Okay. And then, like a mad scientist, I'd write down like epic notes almost on an hourly basis of like different motion states that were coming up. Um, And I was talking to my dad earlier, and I was just like, I've got like six months of manic notes (laughs) (laughs) where I just logged like different things about my chakras and different things about, you know, different metaphysical realizations I was having in terms of my physical experience, all sorts of things. And you turn all of that data out at the other end of it. And when the pandemic happened, I was like, I think other people might need this now. You know, I think I've walked through some some form of fire and maybe I can help some other people. Mm. And so I started this um, course called Anchoring Self. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, although that's not necessarily fair because my, my mother's a trauma counsellor. She used to work um, for the Red Cross, like reuniting refugees across um Um, War zones, and my my uncle's a psychologist, and my dad's human rights activist. So there is like a sense of like grounding that was there. So every session, you know, started with this disclaimer that I'm not a a medical profession, but I was. I think Pamela Ellen, who's one of my favorite channels, talks about you know turning up with authenticity and sort of saying you know, this has been my journey. I hope this is helpful to someone here. And here's what I've learned along the way. And there's this great meme of this guy standing in front of, um, Uh, a conspiracy theory board with like the red string (laughs) definitely me during my dark night of the soul and uh, my dad would knock on the door and there were just like a million papers stuck on the wall and i was (laughs) using different different analyses of, of different systems but i i organized it in a way that i thought was accessible to people in terms of asking people how they were feeling at different Points. And because mm-hmm. I'd been logging emotions over six months and watching and reading how different chakras play out emotionally, I felt like I had a good read on what was going on with people. And more than anything, I wanted to, as Miriam Hasner says, um, lead people back to themselves. Um, and so the way I, I thought of Harbour initially is that I'm just, think of me as like a librarian for your soul. And so you have an, an inkling that something might be going on and you come along and I've got some personal experience and a loosely organized Dewey Decimal System going on. And I'm going to ping you some resources that I think might be helpful. And you go away and you read them in your own time, you engage with them in your own time and give them a go and see what resonates and then come back and then I'll see if if there's another syllabus we can put together.
1: Cool. And so you still, like you didn't abandon technology altogether, you're just using it in a way that serves you and others now.
0: Yeah, and it's so funny because I feel like I've come completely full circle because I... I didn't want to engage with politics having studied it because I didn't want that sort of charismatic leadership ego-driven model I didn't I didn't feel that that resonated mm. with me I have a lot of challenges around accepting a representational model of democracy hashtag I don't know that it's really working guys <laughs> but but I I always loved tech from when I was really young because you could make something people's lives could be better for it and they never would have to like worship you or think that you were the best thing since sliced bread there was a kind of humility about software that I really loved um, when I was younger and, and making things and I think the The humility that comes from your life falling apart made it possible for me to come back to building from that really pure childlike space. And so now when I'm building, I'm like, oh, I could do this. And, you know, I've had this session with this person. And that's really helped me kind of think about the back end model and how this Python and API (laughs) are going to do. (laughs) I'm just engaging it in a different way because there's, there's almost a diagnostic need for it you know and when people need the technology that you're building you feel like you're being of service and that's an incredible feeling it feels like incredibly purpose-driven as opposed to ego driven
1: yeah that's no that's true and i mean i work in software i don't develop but i manage projects and i know like when i get a project that feels like it's going to have an impact on people Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to tolerate some of the you know bs that comes with it right for one thing definitely so then with ai so artificial intelligence i've actually heard a few people now talk about ai ethics and what that means and then everyone well i will say everyone's familiar with the documentary the social network i did not watch it yet because i haven't watched it i haven't watched it yeah because you know what i need to use social media (laughs) for my podcast and for my comedy and whatever so like I am pretty aware that I've given away a lot of my <laughs> private yeah. data, but I also just, I can't with it. But I do know that some of the AI things we can try to get around. So talk about AI ethics a little bit and what that is and what that what you're doing there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a vastly expanding field. Um, and perhaps one way to ground this conversation around AI ethics would be to think about it through... Through something like Harbor, where you're dealing with people's emotions and personal mm. data. One thing I tried to think about is like how to create privacy preserving models. And so if we were having a Harbor one to one, what are the ways that I could ask questions mm. that are helpful to you, but um, don't risk your privacy? And also how can I log those questions and create the platform in such a way that you retain your privacy? Because you're sharing incredibly personal things. You're sharing, you know, your, your hopes, your fears, all sorts of different things. And so for me, it's part of the privacy preserving element comes in the research design of the questions. Another part of it is that. Ethically, I don't want to gather lots of data on Harbour users for the sake of gathering lots of data on Harbour users. Number one, we're never going to sell the data to anyone else. And number two, it really needs to help you. Like the, the most important thing is that your knowledge of self through this data that you're logging every single day helps you get a deeper understanding of who you are and how you're moving through this world and helps you kind of guide helps guide you towards things that feel right with your highest good so you know, there's a temptation intellectually for me to engage with AI ethics there's this big field and I have lots of opinions and lots of interventions that I'd like to make and mm-hmm. also I feel that the urgency is around how can we create technological systems that help people feel whole in themselves and Part of that is understanding the responsibility that we have as technologists to not gather everything. Edward Glissant calls this opacity, and I definitely use that as a guiding principle in my work In his philosophies. it's I want to be able to recognize you and the difference in you mm-hmm. while still both of us maintaining our opacity, you know, mm-hmm. and then kind of coupling that with this concept of namaste, which is the divinity in me recognizes the divinity with you within you and so this great sort of philosophical technological challenge of this work is how can we recognize the divinity within each other whilst also maintaining the opacity and the right to privacy within ourselves hmm.
1: yeah yeah that's true like you it's almost like well even i mean this is maybe a stretch but saying like this podcast is called more than work because it's trying to show people that who they are is more than just their job. And then really on trying to create this parallel, I don't know if it'll work until I say it. It's the same thing. Like the person is more than what they've just told you Mm. and more than what a machine thinks they are. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, good.
0: Yeah. It it makes total sense. I couldn't have put it better myself. I just feel like, Yeah. Yeah. It makes
1: perfect sense. I want to go back to resilience a little bit because I was just thinking about when you were talking, a lot of times I think like a person will be engaged in something and they'll feel like I have to see this through mm. and that's the resilience is me seeing it through. But maybe that thing isn't working for them and it could be a relationship. It could mm-hmm. be a job. It could be some maybe goal they set or I just think of a lot of it in like human relationships more than mm-hmm. anything at the moment. So that's not really resilience, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Re- okay. So, at least From my perspective.
1: Yeah. It's just more like seeing something like sometimes recognizing that that's not working for you and making the decision to stop is that's the part that builds the resilience, right?
0: So yeah, it's, it's so multifaceted in the sense that, the resilience is built in coming back home to yourself every day, no matter what that looks like, whether that's looking at yourself and knowing that you're making a bad decision, but being rather not necessarily a bad, but a suboptimal or a decision, which isn't necessarily aligned with your highest good. We've been there, but just just knowing why you're doing it and that you're doing it and that increased awareness can increase the level of resilience in my mind. And I think For me, I try not to think of resilience in in terms of human relationships, because it it feels like it could fall into the territory of trying to control outcomes. And, Um, you know, we can't control other people. And so the best form of resilience for me and for the work that I'm trying to do is like the commitment to coming back to yourself every single day. That's the resilience I'm looking for in myself and in others. Like, am I you know, when, I, when I'm eating this burger, have I addressed shame? When I'm writing this piece of work, what is my relationship with perfectionism? Am I rendering to the flow of divine knowledge? Am I still feeling anxiety? Where is that coming from? How can I commit to being intentional in this moment? That's a level of resilience that's definitely increased from another time when I'm writing, which is like you have to do it, 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 <laughs> you know. Yeah. So you can you can feel resilience emerging from how at peace you are in any moment, and I definitely get this from my parents who, or I witnessed this in my parents who are genocide survivors and. I didn't realize it until I was much older, but I recognized their resilience as an ability to stay incredibly calm, even as things are just erupting all over them, around them. And I think that's a model of resilience that I'm far more drawn to than this idea that you can just power through, which is perhaps a more Western cultural model of resilience. For me, it's It's the ability to be at peace wherever you are. So when my mother's cooking or when my dad and I go for walks, they're just really present. And I didn't see it until I had my dark night of the soul. And I always thought they were just completely weird and sort of out of this world. But now I can can see that that's a superpower, the ability to be incredibly present, even as everything around you is just flying off the handle.
1: Have you talked to them about that? Like just kind of... I mean, I don't know if it's changed your relationship with them, but also just like how you relate with them now that yeah. you've identified that.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's this hilarious moment, you know, post dark night of the soul where I wasn't just this like ball of endless anxiety. And I walked into the living room and my dad kind of looked up from his laptop and he's just like, oh, you've woken up. <laughs> 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 and, it was just, and it was just this kind of like awareness that I, my energy had shifted. And and so I think I think about them a lot in terms of my coaching work and just what it must take as a parent or someone who cares for another being to hold space for someone to go through their journey in their own way, whatever it looks like. And I try to carry that into my work, definitely, this idea that actually the answer is not to force people into a specific Program of work, but rather to hold space for the realizations that they have along the way, knowing that that's exactly what they need to realize as they're realizing it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and almost like giving them credit for
0: yeah realizing it because it is it's it's their journey. You're just there to hold space. Huh.
1: So when you, so I'm trying to think about how someone might be listening that, and even I'm listening and, and realizing some things right now but at what point do you think someone can like is there telltale signs for someone that they might experience that should tell them oh i'm not doing what i'm meant to be doing or what i should be doing or i'm not doing something aligned with me Mm -hmm. and like maybe it's time for me to get an accountability partner and Mm -hmm. someone like natalie or someone else like whatever Mm -hmm. works for them right Like, is there like certain feelings or manifestations that they might be feeling that would tell them that? Or did you have an experience like what you're feeling now versus before that kind of that Mm -hmm. shift that you would think other people might identify in themselves?
0: Yeah, that's such a good question. Maybe I would turn it around and sort of say, what does it feel like in your body, in your soul, when you know you're exactly where your soul needs to be? Hmm. like what does that feel like for you oh for
1: me personally Mm
0: -hmm.
1: well yeah I mean I can tell you that I spend a lot of time in great anxiety I mean a lot Mm -hmm. lot of time and like right now I'm not right Mm -hmm. so right now I'm not super anxious I actually just feel lighter and I feel almost emotional in a way because I'm a person who cries Mm -hmm. so I'm not gonna cry right now but I could like just if I think about that feeling of being at peace and being okay and like just enjoying talking to you and not looking at my phone mm-hmm. and everything. And then I know like, you know, sometimes when I'm at work or just when I need a break, I'll just feel all this anxiety, like my mm-hmm. heart coming out of my chest or it's mm-hmm. in my throat and really volatile, I guess, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I mean, for me personally, and I think I don't know if other people feel that way, you know, all okay. the time or, you know, but that's, that's for me. Like right now I'm just kind of fine,
0: mm-hmm. you know? hmm yeah I hear that I hear that and I've definitely like anxiety used to be my full-time mode and I it's it's Mm -hmm. kind of it's kind of why I can feel it in others because my body has such a strong memory of it and yeah I I don't know I feel like people will find the things that resonate with them at the time that their soul feels like it's time to to engage with that, right? And it just depends on A, how much space you're giving to listen to your soul. And I think ritual and routine is an incredibly important part of that. Morning meditations, getting out in nature, getting away from devices is a way of carving out space to really hold space for yourself. And it's easy to kind of think that someone else can do it for you. And that if you If you engage with a professional that they'll fix your problems, but you're not, you're not a machine that's broken. You're an incredibly beautiful, multi dimensional soul that's experiencing life in this moment as a human body and being. And just carving out the space to honor that and to really love oneself creates that opportunity. And then I think increasing that practice by engaging with teachers and healers and people who accelerate that process of self-awareness and self-knowledge through different modalities is a wonderful way to to ramp things up Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah I guess a takeaway could be then just to observe yourself like when you're feeling a certain way take the time to Mm. acknowledge that and then you'll be more familiar with what it feels like when you're in flow or in something versus not right.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, to kind of answer the question more fully, I'd really love to meet people who have found that level of awareness, but just need someone to nudge them every day to make sure that they're doing Mm -hmm. stuff and meet them once a week to be held accountable. I really do see myself as like an anchor and a catalyst, um, for wherever you feel like you need to go that's aligned with your highest good.
1: Yeah. Did you feel a change? Because I don't... I'm sure listeners heard you say about Rwanda and being a genocide forever, and I don't want people to think that I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, cool. And then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? Okay. But yeah, no, and it is a big deal, but it's also not the focus of our chat at all Mm -hmm. or it's not really I don't think it defines you but it's definitely a part and Mm -hmm. and I feel like people who go through I don't know anyone who's gone through that for Mm -hmm. sure but who go through other things whatever they are because it's all relative to our Mm -hmm. own experience right I think sometimes there's this idea of overcoming things that means you forget about them or Mm -hmm. that means that you act like they never happened. Mm. But do you find like these practices that are around mindfulness and acknowledging mm. your feelings allow you to just, whatever that situation would be, manage it differently? Like,
0: oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. And so, one example would be that when I started doing post Rwanda coming back, doing a little bit of ancestral work, and mm-hmm. that looks like having an altar and having. You know ways of remembering my family who passed away during the genocide. And also the family that I love, who I met out there, who also passed away sort of shortly after. And there was just this sense of loss, but engaging with Bantu philosophy and African philosophy and African metaphysics has helped me so much in terms of creating a relationship with my ancestors and the family members that I lost. And, you know, there's something that I definitely came across when I was engaging with Holocaust literature and even folks from Vietnam and the the refugee community there who've really written about this, which is survivor's guilt. And that's where a lot of my anxiety was stemming from, which is like, why did I survive and everyone else died? This is awful. Like, I feel so guilty for having survived. And I feel as though I need to make sure that my life is like carries all of these expectations and achieves all of these things because all of these other people died and I didn't. That's that's pretty heavy for like a five-year-old. So it is. It is. Um, so it was a the survivor's Skill, the ancestral work. Really, really, really helped address the survivor's guilt because it wasn't—it wasn't any longer like I'm the only one who survived. It was more like actually, I'm part of this like beautiful community of human beings, some of whom are still here on this earth plane, and some of whom aren't. And every week and every day, I have an opportunity to honor them in ways where I feel as though those who are aligned with my highest good would be really proud of what I'm doing and would really feel part of this as opposed to feeling that I'm separate to them. And I I think that's also quite a a Western attachment that I'd had, this idea of separation from, from ancestry, but actually we're, we're, we're incredibly tied into our bloodlines. And unless we address that and unless we take care of that, we can come up to a lot of challenges.
1: Yeah. I, gosh, that just resonates with me so much. And I, I don't know if I've talked about this on this podcast before, but like I lost my brother, Mm. well, it'd be 11 years to an overdose and, I would say, and it's not the same as a genocide. And I completely recognize you know, that. Of that right? Yeah, but it there was this part of me that, oh, that was driven by it in a certain way, mm. and then and there was like this lack of acknowledgement of being part of a community of people who had gone through that, yeah. and you know, then like six years in or something like that. Now I found an organization in the U.S. called Shatterproof that. Mm that the founder lost his son. And so but what he took action by creating this organization that does, tries to help right now, they're doing a lot with treatment, but also they did a lot of legislation work and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And in going to their events and then being an ambassador for them, as it's called, I met a lot of others and then my family started going and there was this release of burden. Mm-hmm in a way, I mean, it's still there somewhat. I'm sure, you know, like it's yeah. still there, but there's this way of of seeing that it's not just you and it's not just your family, though they're so different. Like it does resonate to think about shared experience and how mm-hmm. that can build strength, sure. right?
0: Sure. And in a lot of the, I love that you've shared that. And thank you so much. Because I feel that often people need permission to grieve. Mm-hmm. And I love being able to be in a place with this work to tell people or to share with people, if you feel like there's someone who you've lost or feel as though you've lost, because in my mind, you've never really lost them, Um or who's no longer here with you, here are some practices that you can hold space for that feeling and that you can hold space for that emotion and that relationship that you've held with this person who was important to you and who is still important to you. And I love Maladoma Some's work on ritual and ancestry. He's a daggerer, healer and educator and from Burkina Faso. And I just love that his work gave me permission to to light candles for people I'd lost or perceived that I had lost. And that actually thinking about my aunt, who was a herbalist and a botanist, just so full of joy. I used to love biscuits, very specific time for biscuits. <laughs> so Every Wednesday I get some biscuits and I light a candle and I have a cup of tea and I think about my aunt. And I really look forward to my Wednesday biscuits. And I'm always getting teary thinking about it. Yeah,
1: no, me too, actually. So, yeah, that's
0: really nice. <laughs> and, I just, and I just think about how we're able to transmute this energy of anxiety and feeling overwhelmed and feeling guilty for having survived and feeling like there's a burden for us to prove that none of that was wasted and turning it into a candle and tea and biscuits that's just lovely, yeah, yeah. you know? And I think that's that's the beauty of knowing things or engaging with metaphysical work is that you can transmute energy and it can heal you and it can heal the people around you. And that's magic to me. Hmm.
1: No, that's really lovely. And thank you for sharing. I mean, I think it it's just, I don't know. I think our stories, I mean, that's what, why I'm doing this, right? Getting stories, they're important to share. So thank you. So I would—I guess, is there anything else you want to cover
0: yeah, I suppose if if any of what I've shared has resonated with anyone and they're on the edge and thinking of engaging with this work but not quite sure and have some questions, please send me an email, compass at harbor today. and I'm sure Rabia will will share that link with you. Mm-hmm. I'm really open to engaging with people who have questions. It's it's honestly my joy. Me and six months of notes are welcome. <laughs> 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 i are inviting anyone who 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 might feel um, that they want that support, and I'm also available for one to one coaching for folks who want an accountability coach. Cool.
1: Yeah, and I'm gonna try it out. I mean, probably, well, definitely before this episode goes out. Yeah, but I'm gonna just explore this as well, just because I thought you were really cool. When we met, and I just want to. See what it's about, but but yes, I'll be reporting on that too. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I always feel weird asking this question, but it always <laughs> results in something. So do you have any advice or mantra that you want to share? I mean you have shared, so it's not to insinuate what you haven't.
0: <laughs> is there more of my soul you would like to excavate? <laughs> exactly.
1: Yes. Via via the internet. Yes.
0: Um is there anything I'd like to share? No, just just that you're enough and you're doing great. I don't know anything other than just like the divinity in me sees the divinity in you, whoever is listening. Like I really have just so much space for what we are all going through and what we've all been through. And I think this is a beautiful time to be alive. And I hope you get out into nature and hang out with the sun and see some flowers and some plants and... If you have loved ones close by that you just you embrace them and that you engage in that love because that's really the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Great.
1: Okay, so I have a s- questions called the Fun Five, and they- I ask am- <laughs> it's again just me. This is the data I'm collecting, right? Yeah. So, what's like the oldest T-shirt you have and still wear? I don't even know yeah, if you're no. a T-shirt person because yeah. you're dressed nicely right now, for example, and I'm not. But yeah, no, I love
0: I love. um It's not a T-shirt; it's a sweatshirt. Cool. And... So funny coming full circle from that first quick convo we had before recording. It's from a French company, and I got it over ten years ago. And it's called Africa is the Future.
1: <laughs> oh, nice! Yeah, and we did. We talked a little bit about Afrofuturism because I just yeah. learned that
0: term yesterday. Yeah, yeah I oh, love that so cool. much. And probably the reason I love it now is different to the reason I loved it before. But the reason I love it now is because the metaphysics of um, African philosophy for me connect the past, the present, and the future. Seems Seamlessly. And so when I when I wear it, I feel connected to all that is.
1: Oh, nice. All right, cool. So a lot of people, including myself, are saying every day is like Groundhog's Day right now. like mm. the So what song would you have play on your alarm clock if it was Groundhog's Day and we were really living that life where every day we wake up, it's the same?
0: Um, probably Sierra's Level Up.
1: Yeah, nice.
0: Yeah, because yeah. I feel That's like cool. even... I mean, this is the test, right? This is the challenge, like emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, mentally, intellectually. If every day is the same, how curious are you to imagine otherwise?
1: Cool. And that'll be a fun one. I have a Spotify playlist, so I'll add it. So I'm kind of like excited when there are songs that maybe make me move or something on there. All right. Coffee or tea or neither?
0: I just had some matcha.
1: Nice. All right. So tea. Mm-hmm. Cool. Do you put anything in it? Or is it just like,
0: um, I, I do like some coffee every now and then I know I'm not really supposed to have too much. But yeah, every now and then, <laughs> well, especially on Wednesdays with my biscuits. That's,
1: that's like- I think that's good. I love that. I love that routine. That's really cool. All right. Can you think of a time that you like, laugh so hard you cried either the last time or just something that does that to you where like you think of it, and it just makes you Crack up. I mean,
0: I experience a lot of like Jungian synchronicities during the day, and thankfully, I live alone, so no one thinks I'm mad. <laughs> so I'll just be like walking around, listening to something, um, and then see that manifested in my reality, and be like, "Wow, universe, you're so funny!" <laughs> so, that's, that's like a regular day in my life. Apart from that, I think I think general life is pretty comical.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And that's funny about living alone and people thinking you're nuts because sometimes I, I stay up super late now. And so I'll be on the phone with a friend like at 2 a.m. or on yeah. the call and like just be like this crazy laugh. And then I think, oh my gosh, if someone hears me, and everyone's well, my neighbor will be going somewhere at like 4 a.m. and he'll be like, yeah. oh, I heard you the other night. I was so glad to see you're okay. And I'm like, this is his health check is just, am I laughing at 4 a.m. when he's going downstairs to go to work or something? So. <laughs> I get it who inspires you right now
0: mm, I have so many um gosh so many people so many people I'm constantly referencing Maria Hasssner I'm constantly referencing I think that's that's someone whose work has been incredibly transformative for me beyond that I've really fallen in love with my family in a new way mm-hmm. I've done this work and and part of Miriam Hassner's like intervention in my journey has been healing relationships with my maternal line which has just been so transformative so yeah who's inspiring me just I don't know I feel so inspired by everything I feel inspired by you for having having the grace and the courage to to put this space together even you know, you've mentioned anxiety, but I think this is an incredibly brave thing to do to put yourself out there and to to be open and to engage with people to to find out who they are outside of the treadmill of capitalism. So I'm I'm inspired by you and grateful for you too. Oh, wow. Well, thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so that's it. Well, I, I want to get the names of some of those people in the show notes too that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thank you Natalie. It's been a really It was fun and it was insightful and I really enjoyed chatting with you. So thanks for being on more than work.
0: Thank you so much. (laughs) Had a blast.
1: Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about the guest in the show notes and at Robbie Joe mafia created the music just for this podcast. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe M a F F I a. And Rob Metke is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let me know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining finding yourself outside of work. Follow at More Than Work Pod or send a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Or visit our website, morethanworkpod.com. Give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review if you like. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.